Welcome to this week's edition of the Contact Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Mitchell, and I'm the Features Editor here at Call Centre Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at the topic of rethinking contact centre metrics with Morris Pentel, the Chairman of the Customer Experience Foundation. With 35 years' experience within the industry, Morris has become one of the most respected thinkers in the customer experience field, and we focus our conversation by discussing some of his divisive views on the future of contact centre metrics. I work in a world where I'm working primarily with leaders. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand emotion effect, they're trying to understand empathy effect, they're trying to understand what's actually going on in the conversation. We may be asking the satisfaction question, but we're asking it against a background where too many organizations have asked the same thing. Listen to a conversation and you can hear so much more. Though I have spent most of the last 10 years avoiding saying this, I will say this now clearly, surveys are a bad waste of money now. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omni-channel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis pure cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. So there are key operational metrics that every contact center needs to measure. But in terms of customer-facing metrics like CSAT, first contact resolution, or customer effort, how should we decide upon which metrics we should be using? Very interesting question. And I think it is the heart of the customer experience debate in relation to contact centers at the moment. I think the short answer is that... There are no single metrics that give you a clear understanding of what's gone on in a conversation, in an experience, or in a relationship. When NPS, Net Promoter Score, started originally, the idea that a single question, it was called the ultimate question, would give you insight was perfectly valid. But let me give you an idea of some of the things that we now currently analyze across an organization and then speak specifically, if I may, about contact centers. So we're interested in recommendation. We're interested in satisfaction. We're interested in efficiency. We're interested in personalization, in emotion displayed, empathy, social engagement, digital behavior, and a whole series of other pieces that are part of the conversation or the experience of the customer and indeed of the employee. Does that give you a sort of idea of just how broad a range of things there are that one could play with? Yeah, I think it's interesting as well, kind of you mentioned the idea of kind of having a cross-organization strategy. And to my mind, we kind of often think too often in the contact center 
that we have our own metrics and then other departments will have other kind of metrics that they focus on. So kind of taking things from that angle, I think was very interesting. So I guess if I focus on the contact center for a second and we take the human part of the equation out, then a contact center manager can manage the efficiency of their operation, excluding the human side of it, in terms of latency, in terms of the number of systems involved, in terms of the routing flexibility they've got. Their ability to run a successful contact center operation is not a single metric although it ends up being a single metric in terms of being a good call routing platform together with a certain number of other elements, including good latency, equals an efficient operation in which you can place people to answer calls. So similarly, when you add the people to the conversation, then really the thing that you should be most concentrating on is the conversation itself. And it's analyzing the conversations of the contact center where the largest failure is at the current time. So do you kind of think it's dangerous um, for contact centers just to be kind of measuring their success through metrics alone, as many still do? Oh, absolutely. The difference between leaders and laggards is, and I'm very fortunate, I work in a world where I'm working primarily with leaders. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand emotion effect, they're trying to understand empathy effect, they're trying to understand what's actually going on in the conversation. And let me give you one of my favorite examples of conversation analysis, because I've been involved in that world for a couple of years. I don't profess to be an expert on the subject, but I understand it very well. We can predict that a 0.7 of a second delay in an answer under certain circumstances will equal more than a 90% chance that someone is about to say no. We can also predict that by using the phrase, would you be willing, rather than the phrase, will you, you will increase the positive outcome by 50%. Now, if you think about it, when you start to analyze conversations, suddenly what you're able to do is understand everything from the latency and the complexity of the systems the agents are working through to the actual customer satisfaction at the end of the call. But at the moment, I think of contact centers primarily as organizations that know everything about conversation except for what's being said. (laughs) Well, just kind of this whole kind of conversation um, around how contact centers are using metrics at the moment. I always tend to think of Goodhart's law, which kind of applies to your point there very well, which is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure. Absolutely. And yeah, we may kind of be negatively impacting processes, even if we're hitting our targets, because we're focusing on the wrong things. Well, the, the bottom line for me is I'm now looking as my main metric at experience efficiency. 
So uh, let me explain a little bit of that, if I may. Uh, sometimes we want something in a hurry. Sometimes we want someone to spend time with us. Sometimes our needs are emotional because perhaps we don't trust something or that we don't understand it. And the successful outcome of a call is that actually I'm no longer worried. So there are a huge number of human variables, but those human variables actually break down into a series of patterns. And so it is possible to understand these things, and it is possible to understand the conversation. But to go back to your point, when you have a target, you naturally move towards it. You know, this is basic quantum physics. Measurement affects the outcome. So this kind of experience efficiency that you're kind of talking about, is this something that you're expecting more and more organizations to kind of grow a focus on? I see that at the moment. I see that the difference between the leaders and the laggards to me is if I'm meeting a laggard, they will be telling me how they want to get around either their CSAT or their MPS in order to expand their understanding. If I'm talking to a leader, then what they're talking about is how do we practically apply the understanding of empathy or emotion or other elements in the conversation in order to move forward. So if people are thinking about single metrics, they are behind the curve of the very largest and the most advanced contact centers that I have experience of. It seems to me that a lot of kind of these uh, points that you're talking about with experience efficiency in terms of the human element, uh, a lot of that can be kind of measured through quality scores. Or do you think that's still the case? Or is that a kind of old way of looking at it? So there are two elements to your question. And thank you for asking. The first is that the way that we build our quality metrics at the moment that understand those quality metrics is mathematically flawed. So there are very few things in life that are a perfect 10. And any scoring system that goes from 0 to 10 adds a level of confusion from the user's point of view. And if you think that it then gets translated by somebody else who wasn't necessarily privy to it in order to produce a result, then what you have is, uh, in our terms, the equivalent of Chinese whispers. The understanding of what people say gives you a much clearer set of insights that are actionable. So if you can hear somebody say, this is the second time that I've called, then you know that somewhere at the root of this and something that needs root cause analysis is going to be first call resolution. In fact, let me give you a great example. One of the pieces of work that I did a couple of years ago was for a very large contact center organization. And I'm a great believer in delivering small habits and changes to contact center staff, because if you've got more than a 1,000 people, you're not going to take them off the phone for the day. You've got to create new habits. 
And so the first new habit that we created within this contact center was to say, actually, does the customer sound angry or not at the outset? And in which case, if the customer sounds angry, spend time calming the customer down. Now, that would seem counterintuitive from the point of average handling time, but in fact, it reduces average handling time because less angry customers tend to go off on less tangents, taking up less time of agents and ending up in more satisfactory conclusions. This is very kind of interesting topic as well, not only from the perspective of those high up in the organization, but in terms of kind of a changing advisor role as well, maybe in the fact that they'll kind of need to be more aware of how their behaviors impact the customer. Do you see kind of increased coaching needing to be on the agenda very soon? Very much so. And different kinds of coaching. If you were to look in the job ads within the call center industry, you would find some pieces notably missing. Number one is behavioral analysis, actually understanding the customer, actually understanding the human condition. And let me give you a really simple example. I know it's one that I speak about a lot. But if you play music at 120 beats a minute to somebody sitting in an IVR queue, their heart will race, and that's not exactly how you want to deliver them to an agent who they're about to complain to. So understanding people more is one of those taboo areas that we have had for years. People, even some of the great customer experience gurus of my generation and the generation after me, talk about emotion as though it's difficult to understand. And to some extent, that's true. But the affect of emotions, and by affect, what I mean is what outcome emotions produce, has been an understandable science for nearly a 100 years. It's the basis of medical diagnosis. So what we're needing to do is to widen our gaze in the call center, to look at things like behavioral analysis, to look at conversation, to look at other pieces, and then deliver that into the contact center as training for staff. But this is also against a background where a huge number of tasks are still being moved out of the contact center. So our people are generally dealing with more complex problems rather than things that we can hand off to automation like bots and other pieces. Yeah, I think the fact that we have rising self-serve, well, better self-service and increasing number of organizations using kind of chatbots to automate calls is really going to have a big influence on advisors. And maybe we will need to react to that by perhaps kind of lowering occupancy so advisors get longer breaks between calls because handling time will probably increase as well. So there's lots of varying things that we'll need to consider in the future. Absolutely. I didn't mean to cut across, but even mindfulness, i.e. the ability to reset yourself after a long call, will be part of one of those new elements of training. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think one other point that you kind of mentioned as you were speaking earlier was um, the kind of this increasing focus on emotion. And I saw some research a few weeks ago of how emotion has a bigger influence over loyalty than the success of a customer in getting their query answered and the effort it takes them to do so. Yes. But I'm not really seeing many widely used measures of emotion. I'm seeing maybe a little bit of sentiment analysis through analytic systems. But how else would you kind of suggest contact centers start measuring emotion? Well, here I'm going to have to get partisan. Over the past three years, the Customer Experience Foundation has invested hugely in the understanding of emotion from the organizational point of view. And what we learned through that research and work is that there are basically nine emotional states that impact outcome. So although there may be many words to describe emotion, whether or not I'm dissatisfied or disillusioned or disaffected is a more complicated problem. But whether something is a little bad, a lot bad, very bad, or completely bad is something different. So we divide emotions into two basic types. Emotions that are passive, which means I may not like you very much, but I'm not going to leave you as a customer. And emotions that are active, which means I'm either going to spend more money with you, or I'm trying to leave you, or I am bad-mouthing you socially. So doctors think about emotions in terms of how did you feel before? Once you'd had the treatment, how did you feel? And it's that simple. Did you feel that the outcome made you feel better or worse? That's not rocket science. That's what we do. A friend of mine, uh, Professor Elizabeth Stoku from... Loughborough University, in her wonderful book, Talk, starts out with the proposition that conversation is what actually separates homo sapiens from the previous states. Conversation is designed by us to be understood by everyone. And similarly, as you wander about in your life, you can see who is distressed, you can see who is happy, this is not rocket science. It's only business has been very reluctant because of our historical focus on business being business to expand its thinking. So I believe that there are simple metrics that can be used. There are certainly on the Customer Experience Foundation free insights on the subject. I think most people are still trying to overcomplicate it rather than think about it in the most simple terms. And if I could give one piece of advice to any contact center manager, it would be try and think of it as the emotions of a child. Keep it that simple. They're either happy, they're unhappy, they're either engaged, they're not engaged, they're either throwing a tantrum or they're not throwing a tantrum. Now, yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, but when you start to explain things simply so colleagues can understand, you unlock emotions. You unlock conversations. So I think there's a lot of people talking about really complicated things that 
are to do with emotions, but they're not getting to the bottom line of how simple they are to us as human beings to understand. Mm. And uh, it kind of makes me think of an article that I've read recently, which said uh, customer loyalty is dead, which I really disagreed with just from the point that kind of I'm still loyal to certain companies, but these companies are organizations that I've had positive experiences in the past and I've built up positive memories and that in turn links to an emotion. So it's kind of as simple as that, isn't it, in terms of building these positive memories in people's minds and they'll come back to you? It's not quite as simple as that, but that is simply true. And what I mean by that, and I know I'm being a consultant by saying both, what I mean by that is that there are other factors that cause you to be loyal to an organization beyond simple memory. So, for instance, although Amazon's impact on the world globally in terms of retail is relatively small, I think it's still under 5%, they are in 50% of American homes, and they are more trusted as an organization than anybody in America bar the military. Now, if you look at Facebook in terms of trust and loyalty, according to the same research, they sit at the bottom of the pile in terms of trust, along with the American Congress and estate agents. (laughs) So it is a question of both, I remember good experiences, but I feel that I can trust you. And this whole question of customer trust is one of the biggest issues that I think, first of all, trust is an emotion. So we are talking about the same thing, but it also has a huge impact on customer loyalty. And if I don't trust you with my information, if I don't trust you to be doing the right thing, if I don't trust you to be concerned with the welfare of your workers, concerned with the welfare of our planet, those emotions might well cause me to think about another supplier, even though you may have treated me well. In other words, although I like my iPhone, if I found that they really were using children in China to make them, I'd get rid of all of my Apple products tomorrow, even though I am hugely addicted to them. So there is a social compact at the heart of emotion that we all have, but is frequently not expressed. So yes, good memories are a feature of it, Delivering good experiences every time is a feature of it, but there are other emotional features to loyalty. But the fact that a lot of them are not expressed, that must be quite difficult for us to measure, surely, because if customers themselves aren't sure for what drives their positive emotion, is that going to be a problem in terms of measurement? Well, I think as long as we are in the world of survey measurement, and to be clear, surveys, everyone has heard the term survey fatigue. 
Let me give you a few other terms to demonstrate where we've got to. Junk mail, uh, spamming. We've taken something like surveys and we've turned them into bad practice. And as a result, we may be asking the satisfaction question, but we're asking it against a background where too many organizations have asked the same thing. Listen to a conversation and you can hear so much more. So the idea of a post-event survey, which from the point of view of a psychologist or a psychiatrist would not necessarily be as valid as actually listening to what happens, i.e. observation of facts, those surveys have significantly less value. So when we talk about measuring satisfaction, we've got to get away from this addiction to post-event surveys and start delving into the conversations. I spoke to one of the world's largest companies last week, who I'm doing some stuff with, and what we were talking about is how to use what's going on in the conversation to understand how well we're doing and to change the outcome if it's not doing well. That's where this divide between current customer experience practice and the future of customer experience practice in the contact center is going to happen. It's actually getting into the meat of what's really happening rather than allowing a separate silo, or as we call it, the insight department, go off and do something that most people don't like to answer. So I spend a huge amount of money giving you a fantastic experience, and then I give you a really bad experience that says to you, actually, you're just a survey to me. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't make business sense. Mm. It's quite interesting um, that you kind of say this with surveys as well, because one other point that I wanted to touch on was measuring not only kind of the experience of the customers, but the experience of our advisors. Yes, do you think that there's other ways that we can do this apart from maybe the traditional annual survey, which won't tell us very much at all? I'm going to go back to the one thing where we can analyze exactly what's going on, which is the conversation. So when we listen to conversations between agents and customers, what we're able to hear is we're able to hear the tiredness, frustration, happiness, empathy of the staff. We're also able to hear how complex the systems are, how much thinking is going in, how much employee effort is going into understanding what the customer is saying. So a conversation will not only talk about the problem, but will give you insights into how your employees are doing. In a recent case that I worked on, I heard an employee give the same answer to 40 different people in a single day. And the result of that answer was the question, what? Or what do you mean? Now, if you're analyzing conversations, it's not rocket science to say that if someone's asking that question, what do you mean? quite clearly our explanation is not right. 
But just to be absolutely clear, because there is an alternative, the question not what may prove to be the next step in a process. So really understanding what's actually happening in the conversations. Firstly, it's massively more available. We have the conversations going on in our contact centers. We need to just rethink the way we understand what's going on in the contact center in order to produce the best outcomes for our employees and for our customers, because happy employees and staff tend to produce better financial results. Mm. It's interesting, kind of your responses to each of my questions, kind of you're just trying to not use traditional metrics, but find other ways of creating more actionable insights. There's a reason for that. And the reason is, though I have spent most of the last 10 years avoiding saying this, I will say this now clearly, surveys are a bad waste of money now. It doesn't mean that getting voice the customer insight is a bad thing. But in general, if you look at the majority of surveys and you look at the response rates, you look at the quality of insight that they produce, I currently feel they represent bad practice. And I can give you a fantastic example of how what once was great practice and regarded as a huge innovation has become terrible practice. So when Fred Reichel originally came up with Would You Recommend Us, it was a great step forward. It brought customer experience into the boardroom for the first time. Recently, being ill, I was laying in an A&E, and I received a text from the National Health Service asking me how likely I was to recommend the A&E. Now, you think about that as a, uh, as a question. First of all, if you're in distress, seek medical advice. Don't ask your friends and family. Secondly, how would that question go? Oh, you're having a heart attack. I think that hospital A is better than hospital B. Two things. The first one is, if someone has been in A&E, what is the probability that 12 to 24 hours later they are still in medical treatment? It's high. And fourthly, if this is the only contact you're about to have with a customer, or in this case, a patient, is that the right thing to say? And it's that to me, as I said earlier, there are two types of customer experience people. There are the practitioners and there are the scientists. I'm a scientist. To me, customer experience is a matter of physics. It's a way of understanding the world that obeys a set of laws of physics that most people aren't familiar with, but it is a science. And what I see is the effort involved in surveys is the equivalent of trying to row a boat backwards when the back of the boat has a flat side designed to hold an engine and you are actually pushing against the bow. You're creating much more effort for the customer in the wrong circumstance. And in contact centers, we have highly available information that gives us insights about everything from the emotional states of our customers through to the emotional states of our staff through to 
I'll just give you a couple more pieces. I know I go on about this. I'll just give you a couple more pieces. Extra long sentences when no one replies, increased aggression, a whole series. There are 14 patterns of things that go wrong in conversations. And my favorite one is, is there anything else I can help you with when you haven't helped me? So can you measure the negative impact of that? Yes, of course you can. But you need broader business cases, and you need better business cases. And that's one of the areas where not just contact centers, but organizations in general are struggling to get up to date with the latest thinking. Agreed. And I just want to lastly focus on customer emotion again, which has been a key motive of this podcast, and talk a little bit about the peak end rule. This says that we should be designing experience to have a peak in customer emotion somewhere in the middle and at the end of the conversation. So should we be measuring where our emotional peaks are within the customer journey? What I would say is that organizations need to be able to identify emotional peaks and to react to them, not to use them as part of a survey formula. I am so opposed to surveys that I think getting voice of the customer post-event is an absolutely valid thing. But most of the surveys that I read put words in the customer's mouth and one slice of one moment on one day post-event, and that doesn't tell you enough. But retail is in a challenging space at the moment. So are financial services, so is everybody. The contact center industry supports an entire world where in recent years we've heard results that although we're spending more money on customer experience, people are getting less and less happy with it. And the reason for that, in part, in my view, and it is only a view in this case because I don't have the science for it, is I think we fixed a lot of the small stuff. But what people are now looking for is real change. So the idea that I have to walk into a mobile phone shop and spend 40 minutes going through a process when they have all the data about me on my phone and I should be able to walk in and walk out is something that. I've been working on with a number of very large mobile retailers around the world over this last year because they've still not replaced processes with experience. And what I mean by that is first build the experience and then add the processes to it. I agree. And I also think another reason for why people may perceive customer experiences to be getting worse is because Amazon have set the bar so high in terms of things like low customer effort. And I think that's a great point to end on there, Morris. But before we go, is there anywhere where our listeners can find out more about what you do at the Customer Experience Foundation? So yes, they can visit cxfo.org. They do not have to sign up. They do not have to become members. We do publish an awful lot of free information, and we do do free advisories for 30 minutes before anybody gets too excited. But there we try and publish honest insights that we've seen out there in the world. The foundation's mission was always that. 
And I'm proud to say that, you know, 10, 11 years on, we're still just publishing things that we find interesting and useful and applicable for contact centers and other parts of business. That's all for this episode. Thank you, Morris Pentel, for joining us today. This episode of the Contact Center podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud Contact Center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. Next week on the Contact Center podcast, we'll be looking at the topic of improving the customer experience with Sandra Thompson, a well-known industry keynote speaker and consultant. The Contact Center podcast is produced by Call Center Helper, the leading contact center magazine. You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Center Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com forward slash podcasts.